And I think for me now, as, as I've got older, it's really important for me to tell my story. On this episode of Moments in Music, you'll get to know a familiar face even better. It can't all be about CO2 cannons and confetti chops, right? Starting out as part of Defected's street team in Ibiza, to fronting our radio shows and headlining some of the world's biggest clubs and festivals. I wasn't brave enough to talk about my past before. Growing up as a girl racer, her love for Tina Turner. You can be homeless, suffer with mental health, and you can be in toxic environments and still come out the other end and be actually really successful. Moments in Music. Welcome to Moments in Music, a podcast by Defected, hosted by myself, Monkey, where we'll get to know our guests through the records that define them. Expect familiar faces, legends of the dance floor, and unexpected characters who just love music. Please welcome the first lady of Defected Records, DJ, producer, label owner, and broadcaster, Sam Devine. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? All good. Fresh from Australia. Oh, I don't know about fresh. Mm. You look great. Thanks. Got your nails done. That's got my nails did. Yeah. Well, no, they're, they're desperate for some infills. This is the thing. As soon as I get home, I've got to like put my hair in, my nails, my lashes, get a sunbed. No, I haven't actually managed to do anything. I managed to like actually unpack this time. I've got a new well thing done. now. Yeah. When I get back from tour to so yeah. just unpack everything straight away, yeah. wash everything and then just, yeah, get it back in the suitcase ready to go again. I have started doing that as well this year. Yeah, I've never Game used to changer. do that. I used to think people were weird to unpack straight <laughs> yeah, away yeah. after a holiday. Yeah. Be like, just enjoy being home. Yeah. But now it's like, yeah, essential. But I'm in the country now for 10 weeks and that's not happened for a really, really, really long time. So yeah, you've had a busy summer. Yeah, it's been nuts. And full on. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. Thanks for being my first guest. Of course, I'm so excited. Congratulations. Thanks. With the new podcast. Cheers. Yeah. So we're going to talk about sort of pivotal moments in both of our lives. Yeah. We're going to do it together, this one. Yeah, cool. Um, let's get into the first one for you. Yeah. Tell us about this first one, Tina Turner. So, rest in peace, Tina Turner. <laughs> I had her first album when I was seven years old. I mean, growing up in my house, there was always music on in my house. You know, I've got really, really fond childhood memories I mean there's not a lot that I remember about my childhood but I definitely remember there was always music on in the house in the car um constantly you know always filled up my house with music you know when my mom was getting ready and um so yeah my first ever album was the Tina Turner I believe it was called Steamy Windows um and I just had like a little Walkman. I used to listen to it in my bedroom and used to take my Walkman to school. And I think that was a real big turning point of music for me as well, because I used to listen to the top 40 as probably many people did mm. and stop and record. So I didn't have any of the talking or like the announcement um, from the presenter. And I just used to make mixtapes. So that was probably from the age of eight or nine, I was making mixtapes. You were a DJ bedroom. when you were eight, practically. I know, literally. But then as I kind of say that, the, like loads of people did that that aren't DJs. So like, <laughs> okay, maybe I, maybe I wasn't as cool as what I thought I was. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, saving up my pocket money from, um, from my mom and my dad and going into Woolworths every Saturday and spending it on, on CD singles. Um, and I guess that's kind of, I mean, going back now, you know, going into vinyl stores and, and mm. saving up all my money to buy vinyl, it's always been music related. I've always been around music. You know, my parents are into music, but they're not musicians or mm. come from a musical background. Um, 
So yeah, that was kind of like a big turning point for me collecting albums and singles and CDs and tapes and making my own tape packs. Yeah. And then getting into school, it's like I used to um, make boyfriends mixtapes. No way. <laughs> of like nineties R and B. That's how you're on the pool. I know, yeah, literally. <laughs> Have a mixtape. <laughs> I think I probably still did that into my like teens. To be yeah. fair. Exactly, like luring them yeah. in with a mixtape. You will love me. <laughs> like messaging within the song. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but then telling a story on these mixtapes as well, you know. And I think, you know, even today now when I do an actual mix or when we're doing the radio show, it's like. Yeah. Simon Dummer actually taught me it's like every kind of every mix has a minute a beginning a middle and an end yeah um and I think that comes from a very very early age of making mixtapes for boyfriends <laughs> um so yeah it's kind of it's all it's all had like a full circle so eight nine year old Sam listening to the Tina Turner album yeah where, where did you grow up and stuff I actually don't know so I grew up in uh, Western Supermare, yeah, or like a village outside of that in Yatton. So I went to school in Backwell. Um, so yeah, Western Supermare, and I've still got so many fond memories now. When I go back, you know, I just love getting in the car. My mum still lives on one of the council estates um, that we grew up in. Um, all my family's still in Western. So I've got really, really fond memories in Western. And whenever I go home, I just kind of get in the car. I used to be a huge girl racer back in the day. You mentioned this off camera. Huge girl racer. I had, well, my first ever car car was a uh, mini Metro, black one. That's a a strong first car. Yeah, my mum bought it for me, it was 600 quid. And one of my friends used to work in a tire and exhaust uh, place. Well, his dad owned it. So everyone that had really cool cars used to go in there and just pimp their cars out with like 20 inch <laughs> rims. So I actually took a hacksaw to my car and like shaved it down and put 15 inch rims on it. And it just, I mean, it was pimped out. But every time I used to turn, the steering wheel, it just used to make this massive screeching noise. And sometimes (laughs) I'd see sparks coming off the tires because they just weren't meant to be on there. Um, And then I got my first ever like proper car was my Corsa GSI 16 Volvo. And I lowered it, I put 17 inch rims on it. I put a four grand uh, sound system in it. (laughs) And literally I used to cruise down the Western Supermare seafront and the bass used to make my nose just be like, Oh, it was so pimped out. Have you got a photo? Probably not. No, there wasn't, there wasn't camera phones when yeah, I was but maybe 17. That's little... I'm ancient now. <laughs> <laughs> My first car was actually a Vauxhall Corsa. Oh, was it? Yeah, I thought it was, must have, I think it was 1995 Vauxhall Corsa. And it was also very done up. Yeah. Um, embarrassingly slow. <laughs> and no power steering. But oh, it had, like... yeah, but it had like a full body kit on it. Yes, yeah, which definitely made it slower. Yeah, and a massive exhaust pipe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And oh my god, it big had, ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big ball, yeah. And it had white rims, which I'm pretty sure had glitter in. Which oh is my just god, like... I love it. Yeah, so I had, I had an early bin life crisis, I think, when it came to cars. <laughs> yeah. And then I weirdly like swapped that in and got something like really safe. I think I got. I think I inherited like my auntie's Peugeot two hundred six. Yeah, or something. yeah, 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 yeah. Grew up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You're an adult. I'm an adult now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I used to cruise around McDonald's, um, McDonald's car park, and just used to do laps up and down the seafront for like all night, every night, till I was probably 
Well, actually, until my car, someone set my car on fire outside my house. What? And I literally opened the window and I could see my car going up in flames. Is this because you're driving up and down someone's Probably. driveway? No, I think my brother end. hadn't paid a bill or something. So that's why, yeah, my house used to get raided all the time. And What, what do you mean? Your house well, my, bro raided? my brother... My brother was like in with wrong crowds right. when he was younger. And yeah, my house used to get raided on the regs. They even, like my house got raided on like Christmas Eve and- By the police? By the police, yeah. 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 What, was that, what was that like growing up? It was hard, yeah. it was hard because I was like, almost like a goody two shoes, if right. you like. And my brother from a very, very early, early age, he, um, he stole his first car when he was like 13. Yeah. And he was in and out of prison a lot. He was like, yeah, he was in with bad crowds and taking a lot of drugs. And um, my mum was in and out of mental institutions as well. So yeah. I had to like look after my brother and it's hard to look after, you know, there's only three years between us. So Is I he just, older or younger? He's younger, okay. three years younger. Yeah. So I was in my last year of school, trying to finish school, trying to, you know, concentrate, do my exams, which unfortunately I didn't pass any of them because mm. I just had a lot going on at home, mm. you know, visiting my mum after school in hospitals um, and then visiting my brother in and out of prison you know mm. he was on remand for a year and a half I went up and visited him like every day mm. um, so it was tough it was tough and that's why I probably because I had so much trauma in my childhood I choose to kind of bury it and that's why music for me is is such a I've got such a fond memory of my childhood yeah. from music but kind of I guess from the age of 15 to probably 25 don't really remember any of that you don't remember not really that no. part of your life no that, that i've heard that that is like a a thing it's like a coping mechanism isn't yeah. it when people have trauma they tend to like forget yeah you just happened. bury it you bury it because it's to, it's really painful to go back there you mm. know in in uh lockdown 2020 i got myself a life coach and i was forced to go back um and it was it was very painful and being sober as well, it was like having having to go back there and deal with it sober. Mm. Whereas before, from the age of 15, you know, I, I took my first pill, um, got in with like an older crowd mm. um, and kind of that was my release. And I took drugs to numb, I guess, my childhood, mm. you know. There was also a lot of fun times as well, but I guess in my head, I've just kind of chosen to just bury that yeah. Um, cause it's safer there. You know, I just want to, I just want to remember the good times, but now having to go back and deal with those traumatic times and meet them face on and, and, and head on and actually being sober to do that. I feel much stronger mm. in myself and I feel like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of that. You know, I did my mental health first aid course in lockdown, which made me understand a lot of what my mum was going through. You know, she suffered with depression since I was five years old. Um, my brother was a drug addict from the age of 13. Um, you know, my dad did his best to, to kind of, you know, navigate through that as well. Um, and I was kind of, I was homeless for a lot of that time as well. Sofa surfing on various families, sofas sharing beds with cousins mm. um yeah it was it was a really tough rough time but i guess you know i've got so much 
empathy for people that are drug addicts i've got empathy for people that have mental health problems um i've got empathy for people that have lost their homes um because i've kind of been through all that myself but also on the flip side of that is also proving that you can come from those living conditions and mm. situations and still be really successful in what you do um and music so many occasions has, has saved my life. And what made you revisit everything in lockdown? I think I just wanted to get sober. Yeah. And, um, you know, all I was doing was um, kind of just laying over the top of everything. I wasn't getting to the root of the problem. Why yeah. am I drinking? Why am I taking drugs? Why am I so unhappy? Why do I not want to wake up in the morning? all these things and I had to go back to the reasons why. Um, and as a kid, no kid should have to go through that. No kid should be homeless at 14 years old. No kid should have to deal with um, going into mental institutions and seeing your mum on the floor screaming and kicking with people trying to put tranquilizers in her, you know? No one should have to endure of going to prison and being practically strip searched um and this was all before the age of 17 you know so but again like i said i put that now into a positive mm. it's made me a really strong person i'm very 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 resilient um and i've got like i said a lot of empathy for people that have been in that situation and my thing is you know be kind to everyone because you never know what they've been through yeah i remember actually having a conversation with you in Texas, I think we yeah. were on tour. Oh, right, yes. And it was just before we lockdown. Tacos. We did have tacos. We had yeah, tacos. we did have tacos. Yeah. yeah, it was just before lockdown, and things had not been locked down yet. But there was kind of like whisperings of COVID. But um, we were still in America. I think it was the end of both of our tours, maybe. Yeah. And um, we had tacos, and then we played a party. And I remember. I remember around that time I had definitely slowed down partying. I hadn't hadn't stopped. Yeah. And I definitely definitely would still have a drink occasionally when I was DJing. Yeah. But I decided to take an active decision to sort of slow down. And we were having quite a meaningful conversation yeah. about it. Yeah. And you were definitely thinking about it at that point in yeah. time. And then I guess lockdown just forced you to <laughs> yeah well while everyone else was you know it's like drinking gin for breakfast <laughs> um the only time that i drink is actually when i'd listen back to my radio show on a friday night mm. so i still kind of treated lockdown as if i was still djing right. so during the week i wouldn't i wouldn't drink and then it gets to the weekend and i you know be doing live streams or from home or you know doing listen back to my radio shows but it just got to the point where it actually really heightened everything how sad i was in my life you know leading up to lockdown i actually remember having a conversation with my agent and i was so depressed i was so unhappy mm. that we actually cut down all my sets to an hour because i couldn't bear being in the club i couldn't even bear listening to music was actually hurting me it was hurting my soul it was hurting my heart it felt when i was um it just it just didn't feel right. Mm. And that was a turning point for me. I was like, for something that I've loved 
for as long as I can remember was actually hurting me and I had to do something about it. Was it the the environment? I think it was the environment. I just think at that point I was probably partying way too much Mm. than I'd like to had admitted mm. um you know doing five seasons in ibiza where you party every day for six months then you get home you're seeing all your pals you're excited you're partying every single weekend and i actually when i did 100 days sober in 2019 i couldn't remember the last time that i hadn't had a drink or done drugs for less than seven days at a time wow yeah a when really really like long that. time yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, a, a um, alcohol is a depressive. Yeah. Drugs, I was taking drugs because I wanted to numb the pain. Mm. It was my best friend. When no one else was, was around, drugs was there for me and I self-medicated because it was either that or antidepressants because mm. it was that bad. Um, and I just didn't want to I just didn't want to wake up in the morning. I felt like I had no purpose. And I think when lockdown hit, I was very, I felt very vulnerable and also I didn't really know what reality was because I had toured solid for nearly 15 years yeah. and I didn't have a clue what was real and what wasn't. It was weird to have a weekend off. <laughs> it was weird not to be in a club, yeah. you know, so I actually turned my, my house into a club and then partied loads for a bit and then I was like, no, this isn't right. And I actually did try to take my own life. It was that bad. Really? Yeah, it was really bad. And uh, Andy, my oh, agent, yeah, amazing. He was like my guardian angel and he was like, I th- we need to get you help. So I tried NA meetings, mm. just wasn't for me. I was like, oh my God, like I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as some of the situations that, that are rising in the NA meetings. And I'd taken drugs for that long I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to go to rehab. Um, But being the proud person that I am, I knew that I could kick it on my own Mm. Um, or with professional help, but I didn't wanna go down the rehab route. I wanted to try if I could do it myself. Um, And getting a life coach was just a game changer. You know, he taught me to still be present in the moment. And it was really, it was painful Mm. being sober and having to deal with certain scenarios. but I got through it. I got through it. And gradually that's how I started with um, being sober. And it wasn't an overnight thing. This has yeah. been a journey that I've been on since 2019. I've just completed 81 days total, you know, yeah. and it was in the grand scheme of things, it was actually a breeze. And I've just learned so much of how strong and how much determination and willpower might not be motivated for other things but Mm. motivated to to get well and to to just live in this um kind of harmonic peaceful um space that i'm in at the moment i feel Mm. like super zen and chilled and in that moment where you spoke to andy and you're in a really dark space yeah and you decided to take on this life coach what was like the beginning of that journey what did it look like and also how scary was that for you it was so scary i mean i literally called andy every day crying my eyes out he was almost like my therapist he's a bit like that yeah he is he is he's amazing like i said he's like my guardian angel but it was also the biggest thing was actually admitting that you're an addict Mm. admitting that you've actually got a problem Mm. because for so long i was like i haven't got a problem everyone does it you know you're thrown into these situations every single weekend Mm. you're in a green room and someone's doing in our industry 
you get paid to party basically but that just isn't sustainable you can't carry on doing that forever without this hurting and this hurting Mm. and I was just it was a cry for help more than anything I was like please just someone help me I don't want to wake up feeling like this anymore Mm. you know I've got so much to live for and I just didn't want to live for any of it so it was really scary admitting that I did actually have a problem with it because I convinced myself that I didn't. Everyone else does it. So not everyone else is an addict. How can I be an addict? That means everyone's an addict. You kind of put all these barriers and all these excuses in front of you. Um, So the only way to do it was to have the life coach. And gradually we spoke about, why are you partying? Why are you doing this? Mm. Then having to be really open and honest, not just with this complete stranger, but I was a stranger to myself. I didn't know myself anymore. I didn't know what I liked. Mm, yeah. I didn't know what I loved. I didn't even like music anymore. Yeah. You know, so I had to retrain and and rebuild everything again. And I think that's why now, you know, I say that I flirt with um being sober, but my relationship with drugs and alcohol now is completely different. Mm. Completely different. And I'm so proud that I've actually done that on my own with help of a life coach, of course. But this time round, I've done it on my own. And I just stopped. I was like, right, I just need to detox my body. Um, I need to get fresh. I mean, this I'm actually two years sober DJing now. Sick. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I can totally take it or leave it now. Yeah. Totally take it or leave it. How has it changed your perception of like the industry that we work in. Because obviously walking into a club <clears throat> at 3 a.m., just got out of bed and had a nap, completely yeah. sober, is yeah. just so different to like staying up till 3 a.m. with all your mates and everyone's having a party and yeah, this yeah. all very relatable stuff. Yeah. Like how, how has it changed your perception? And also just talking from like a personal perspective, it, sobering up and working actually eventually made me love love it more yeah 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 absolutely I think so it's just for me now it's like it's unprofessional yeah you know and I felt that when I was people pay a lot of money to come and see us play yeah so if we if we worked in a bank we weren't turn up we wouldn't turn up to work high (laughs) you know and why do we feel that that's okay to because the booth, the club is our work yeah. space. I don't say that, you know, it's a job. It is still, it yeah. pays the bills. Anything that pays the bills is a job, but we're so highly blessed to, to do the job that we do, right? But I just felt for me, it's like people pay such good money to come and see us play. They deserve to have 100% of the best version of me. Mm. And I felt like I will always do my best and I will always give 100%, but I just felt like I drank mostly for nerves. Right. And I still get nervous now, like legit. I have to do like star jumps. That's what my my life coach taught me. (laughs) I have to do like a little bit of breath work, star jumps. And me and my partner go, one, two, three birdies. And then I'm ready to go on stage. I saw you guys do that. (laughs) It's like our little ritual that we do now. (laughs) When we played a show together in uh, Cheshire or wherever it was, I saw you guys do that just before you went on stage. I was like, Sam, what's all that about? One, two, three birdies. Birdies, Yeah, Yeah, that's the whole thing. We watched the golfing um, tournament program on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we got it from that. Okay, okay, okay. 
So that's kind of like, yeah, I've got like my little rituals that I do now before my set. And my vibe is I turn up 20 minutes before and I pretty much have to leave straight afterwards. Or if I'm in a green room and my rule is if someone repeats themselves for the third time, (laughs) I'm out of there. I am Audi 5000. a great Yeah. Role. Do you know why? Because I end up looking at my best friends and going, I hate you. Yeah, right. Like, you're really annoying. <laughs> so it's the only way that I can do it now. Yes. But I just kind of made a pact to myself, 2020 coming out of lockdown, that I was going to, um, or 2021, sorry, June 2021, um, the, the first festival back, I was just going to drive myself to all my shows. Right. You know, I bought the dream car, like the ultimate, the girl racer in me. Yeah. And that's what keeps me out of trouble. And I and I, and I actually really love being sober now. Yeah. I love it way more than I loved partying. Yeah. I just, my only, my only thing is that I wish I'd done it sooner. Really? Yeah, I really do. Cause I'm a much better DJ sober. Yeah. Um, I think I'm way more experimental. Whereas before you kind of clang, you don't really notice, but then the anxiety the next day, it's like I've left my USB, I've left my headphones. What did I say to that person? Mm. Going through my phone. It's just not, and then having to get on a plane Mm. and then go and do that all again. And then you're drinking on top of your hangover to get over your hangover. And then Sunday you get home and you're just, you're dead. Yeah. And then your mental health, it's it's just a vicious circle. I had this weird like, moment when I was when I wasn't partying as much and I was almost worried that I'd like lose my creativity yeah because things weren't as wild yeah and, like, yeah you know I couldn't tell crazy stories yeah and, you know, especially being a broadcaster as well right yeah, it's all course, about stories yeah. and uh maybe I wasn't hanging around with the right people as much yeah and so I'd lose opportunities and like actually the further along I've got down that journey the more i've realized actually like clarity yeah and being organized <laughs> and having a routine yeah actually cr- allows space for my creativity th- to thrive yeah absolutely whereas before i was just so cu- caught up in this it's i guess chaotic yeah it was chaotic yeah but i thought that was part of being yeah. like creative yeah no it was just so weird yeah absolutely i mean i've it's very hard. It was very hard for me to get motivated to do anything. Mm. I was just living for the weekend so that I could like party with my mates or party with promoters or, you know, I didn't really, I took it very, very seriously, but I didn't realize how unproductive that party, it's fun at the time. Yeah. It's amazing at the time. Yeah. And I do feel that you do create special bonds with people yeah. over a brandy or over whatever. You yeah. know, I do feel that those, and they're the people that have been my friends for life. And you know, I met all my girlfriends in Ibiza, you know, in the toilets at Hush, <laughs> you know. I've, now I go to the toilet, I'm literally in and out, get out, because everyone's just like drunk <laughs> and just chatting crap, repeating <laughs> themselves, yeah, exactly. So I do feel, but at the at my age, I'm like, well, I've kind of met everyone that I've wanted to meet now. I've got, I've got my crew, yeah. you know. So anyone that I meet now is a bonus. And in actual fact, it's, building even stronger bonds with the people that you did meet in the music industry mm. over dinner yeah. or meeting up before the show. It's not actually chatting gibberish in a green room, yeah. you know? But I guess you have to... I wanted to give up partying. Before, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not really into it because it makes me ill. Like, it makes my head ill. Yeah. Whereas now, like you said, so much clarity. Waking up 
on a Sunday and wanted to cook a roast. You know, I was just too hungover to vibes. do any of that. Now, it's vibes. <laughs> Massive vibes. <Yeah>. I absolutely <laughs> love being sober. <laughs> I love waking up and being like, even if I haven't got anything to do. Yeah. That's vibes because I haven't got a headache and I don't feel sick and I'm not eating crap. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not preaching being sober to anyone because everyone is on their journey. Everyone, you know, is their own person. But just for me personally, it's I, I've chosen life, mm. you know, mm. I feel like I'm a better daughter, a better wife to be, a better stepmom, a better friend. You know, I feel like I'm just a much better person for being sober. And it's just done wonders for my mental health. I haven't had, some days I still get sad. I think that's, that's maybe normal, it's like genetic, it? yeah. like or whatever. Um, and there was a point in the summer where I had a big kind of burnout, but I know that, that wasn't due to partying. Mm. That was because this industry expects a lot from us. Mm. And we wanna thrive and be the best versions of ourselves and and be 10-10 all the time. You know, I do the smile and wave smile away where you're dying inside sometimes you know but you you can't you can't let that guard down you can't let people see you sad so you have to you know be on top form all the time and sometimes just doing that is really actually really exhausting yeah a feeling that you have to be 10 10 all the time well, it's performative isn't it yeah you're like performing all the time yeah be on social media and... yeah it's a lot it's a lot i mean I, I, i'm not even complaining about it yeah. because we're so blessed to do what we do but I don't think people understand how hard it is. They see like the video that you put up, the big drop, the confetti drop, the CO2, <laughs> and that's our lives. It's not, <laughs> that's two hours a week sometimes, maybe four hours a week. Yeah. You know, it's everything that goes into putting the radio shows together, putting this together. You know, you've got your sport. I'm yeah. probably like the um, least sporty person ever. <laughs> like you are like inspirational in that, that you've got your balance with sport something that like i haven't got a hobby yeah which is wild yeah it? your hobby is music yeah. it was music yeah now it's both i mean my hobby now are like my stepkids yeah. like i love it i like i hated kids <laughs> i literally <laughs> there was a baby be like <laughs> literally like get away from me or if i'm on a plane and there's one behind me i'm like shh you know i'm just that guy whereas now i'm like oh it's okay it's okay you know i'm just i really really love being a stepmom and do you think you would have been able to have done that without the help that you got a few years ago? No way. Yeah. No way. I doubt Matt and I probably even would have met. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> like, yeah. I just think really good things happened to me since I've been sober. Yeah. In my professional career, in my professional life and in my personal life. Yeah. Let's... I've got to read it back yeah. and talk about a song. Yes, <laughs> let's do it. Um, we touched on your career quite a bit. Yeah. More the sort of latter stages. Yeah. Uh, Paul Van Dyke. Paul Van Dyke for an angel. Oh my God. I used to be a massive trance head back in the day. Yeah. So the reason why I got into DJing is because a lot of my friends were hard house and trance DJs. Okay. And I used to play at my local club. We used to have like guest DJs every single week. And then we'd go back to my pal's house. There'd be a set of decks in the corner. And, um, I'd be like jumping on and just clanging so hard. But they'd be like, yeah, Sam, you're really good. And my friend works in Tower Records at the time, in Western Supermare, yeah. in, um, in 
like yeah just off the high street and i used to go in on my lunch break i used to work in vodafone on the high street i only work part-time and i used to go into tower records on my lunch and he just used to give me all the promos so it's just freebies and i'd buy a couple of records didn't really know what genre that i was really into i was always into 90s r&b and hip-hop and i got into garage much later through a cd that ez did that was on the front cover of mix mag yeah. when i first passed my driving test when i was 17 so that just got rinsed so i was like hard house and garage 90s r&b i was into progressive house um and yeah i was just collecting trance vinyl and um when i was i think i was 20 i got my first set of decks i swapped but they were like 100 quid and um my mum had a, a shed at the bottom of the garden and she wouldn't let me in the house she was like, i'm not listening to that boom 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 music you can get out in the shed and come rain or shine i was out there every single day practicing so i'd buy a few vinyls and one i actually worked in a call center as well and one of my clients worked for locked on records on mm. the side hustle and for virgin so just used to send promos down for that so like yeah it was just i wasn't sure what i liked i just liked what i liked kind of thing yeah um and I had my decks at the bottom of my mum's garden for two years and I practiced my set every single day for six months. I entered a DJ competition at my local nightclub and ended up winning it and got a residency at my local club. I was a junior booker at the club as well. Um, and then I started working in a record shop and my mum, after two years, let me in the house. And I had my deck <laughs> set up on an ironing board. And my friend used to work at the local college. And every Friday night, she used to backdoor all the equipment, like mics, lights, a um, couple of laptops. And we just used to set it up in my bedroom on a Friday. Remember MSN Messenger? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we had it set up on MSN Messenger. We had like 10 listeners, if that, <laughs> on our Friday night show. I can't remember what we called it. Which let which which is mad compared to what we do now with the defective yeah. radio show is just millions nuts. of people exactly um, and just that record was just always a star probably because I could mix it more than any of the others right. as well so I used to play the, like the A side and the B side I had two two copies of it and then I remember my first season in Ibiza I went to was it Cream it must have been Cream or Cocoon. I can't remember if they had trance in the second room. But I remember walking into the club and walking through the dance floor and Paul Van Dyke for an Angel came on and I just started crying my eyes out. And I was like, what? just what? Like, I wasn't sad. Just euphoria of being so happy yeah. that it just actually it was so beautiful that it just brought me to tears. And what about that moment was so beautiful for you? Probably very high. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. I know, yeah, exactly. But even now, like it literally, if I, if you put it on now and I cranked it or I was, I was in the car, it would bring tears to my eyes. Yeah. Like it just takes me back to that, to that moment in amnesia of just yeah. walking through the club and it just coming on and just seeing everyone with like, their, it was glow sticks then. What year was this? Oh my gosh. 2000 and... It must have been 2004, 2005. Yeah, so early noughties terrace. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just a stunning moment. It's just mad how music can do that to you, right? Yeah, it can really like take you back to a specific moment in time. So specific. Like yeah. I don't remember what I had for lunch, but I remember that in 2004 and it just being a really 
beautiful moment like what was yours well i've got i've got a, a few but i think um around so how old would you have been then don't want to give me age away. <laughs> <laughs> early 20s. Mm, yeah, let's stick with early 20s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Scream, his remix of LaRue going in for the kill. Absolutely. That, I remember exactly where I was when I heard it. And I was listening to, uh, just in my bedroom, I was listening to Annie Mac on Radio 1 on a Friday night. Yeah. And I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, literally. And I'd just started listening to like uh, late night radio. One shows a lot of like pirate radio in South yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. Rinse FM was still pirate at the time. Um, and I was getting into music and understanding like the clubbing scene here in London. I wasn't old enough to go out yet, but yeah. I was reading like magazines and like, you know, it's when like NME magazine was yeah, kind of yeah. like still a thing and reading blogs and stuff like that. And um, I heard that tune and I'd been playing with the idea of maybe trying to DJ and I'd just been like on my mate's 1210s, like mixing hip hop and stuff. Yes, yeah, sir. Oh, you can mix hip hop? Oh, I don't know if I could still mix hip hop, yeah. but I tried to. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I attempted yeah, yeah, yeah. to. Yeah. Slam it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, my first residency was a hip hop was a hip hop one. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dope. Um, Where was that in London? It was at a it was at a club called Yo Yo in West London. Oh, it was this amazing club. It was like 150 people. Um, to get on guest list, you had to message them on MySpace. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Get through Tom. First. Yeah, I saw Nas play there, mate. <gasps> yeah, I seen some mad people play there. Wow! But I just played for an hour at the beginning. How old were you then? Eighteen. Uh, Sick. Yeah. And it was run by two A and Rs at the time, Seb and Leo. Um, I think Seb was an A&R for like Sony or something, but so there'd be like a oh, live wow. act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then warm-up DJ was me or one of those guys and then a live act, which all the A&Rs would come and watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it'd be like a kind of surprise. I saw like Dizzy play there, like Mark Ronson would DJ there all the time. Oh my gosh. I was very, I felt, I feel very privileged to be in yeah, London at that say, time. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, after I heard that remix, the next day, I quit school. <laughs> I was like, I know what I want to do. No way. Yeah. So it was the Friday night and on the Monday I quit school. Wow. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Oh and I didn't tell gosh, my mum for like six months. I was absolutely <gasps> terrified. <laughs> Where did you, did you have to go out? Like when did you, when were you going to school? Well, I didn't live with my mum. Oh, okay. I didn't live with either of my parents. Yeah, yeah. So I could just get away. Like they yeah, didn't yeah, know what yeah. I was doing. Basically. It's not like you were going out at 9am in the morning and coming back at like Yeah, four. no, I wasn't going out in my blazer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and dumping it in a bush. Yeah. No, no, I just, um, I just wasn't going. <laughs> I was just listening to like Radio One and like practicing on my mate's decks. And... Oh my gosh! How did you support yourself in that time then? I worked. I worked for my dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my dad. I, I told my dad very early on because I, I knew he wouldn't be. Yeah. Fast about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my mum's like super academic. Uh, she like put herself through university, oh, and so like her God. take on what is. I guess like successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. stable. It was more of like a stable yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like education. Yeah. And that is like my the Asian side of my family. Yeah, yeah. Um but my dad is a bit I'm probably a bit more like my dad to be honest. Yeah. Um sporty, runs his own business. Yeah. Kinda is just a bit like hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Do whatever makes you happy. Enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I knew that he wouldn't he wouldn't be too worried about it yeah so i told him pretty early doors it's probably just gonna start an argument yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i just worked for him and i worked at a paintball site oh no way yeah like flipping burgers and and the days that we didn't have customers i would just like uh help build stuff yeah wicked uh dig like, have to, like dig trenches in the cold and 
For paintball then? Yeah, for paintball. Oh, so, so like all the barricades and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're obviously yeah, like yeah. made out of wood and like the huts and things like that. So yeah. I'd like help build them. And then on the weekend, we'd so have very customers. handy then. Yeah, I'm quite handy. Yeah, I've got a toolbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a pink hammer. Yeah. And then I'd sit in this shipping container and fix paintball guns. Oh my god! For hours and listen and listen, listen to, to music. music. Yeah. yeah, wicked. And yeah. just like makes everything go so much quicker, doesn't it? When you yeah. listen to music. Yeah, yeah. And actually, though, that is what reminds me very early on of like the Radio One shows because I'd listen back to them and I'd just like stick my headphones in and I'd be fixing Titman Ninety Eights, which is like a paintball brand. <laughs> so weird like that's what i did for two years from like 16 to 18. um which is mad because you had a radio one residency yeah when i was 21 so it was only three years later oh really yeah yeah you were there for for a while no six years i was yeah, on radio six one years, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, that's how i first heard you oh really on your radio one show yeah it is mad. You know what? The amount of people that have come up to me years later and been like, oh, I used to listen to your show. It's yeah. like mental. Because obviously, I was 21, right? And I just, yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is sick. But I had no idea how far and, it reached. Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah, definitely. Because obviously, when you came on to, um, when you started for the Defected Radio show, I was like, oh my God. Monkey. Mm. I was like, is this the same monkey on Radio 1? <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, when I when I lost my show, these guys literally called me up and was like do you want to come in have yeah. a chat and they were like we love your show do you want to just do it here yeah don't. and i was like sick yeah amazing wicked. but yeah it was mad six years on radio one at a young age as well i don't think i've really quite a long stint it. as well because it's like the residencies normally only last like three months don't they yeah, yeah so the residency is what i started on yeah and then um there was some move around in the schedules because annie mac went on maternity leave yeah. beat traits had to cover annie and then beat traits slot came up yeah and so i covered that like a ninja. Yeah, and there. then when Annie came up, a new slot became available and I basically went in there. But it was wild, because like, that was actually kind of all I wanted to do when I left school. Was presenting. Was to have a show on Radio 1. Yeah, sick. So yeah. when I got it's it, dream. I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah, of course. And I was like, I don't really know what to do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I lost my way a little bit for Did a couple you? of years. Do you yeah. think so? Yeah, definitely. Do you think that um, also with like the, the style of music that you were playing, on the show mm. um dictate that for you as well like if you lost your way with did you were you playing like the music that did you have free reign what i'm trying to oh, say right. is like yeah no i did because i was a specialist so anything past 7 p.m you basically got full control of the playlist oh, okay everything pre like early morning breakfast to seven yeah uh was either part playlist or fully playlist yeah so I was considered a specialist DJ, which means you get to play what you want, yeah. basically. Did you play hip-hop on it? No, I, did, uh, no, I didn't play hip-hop. Yeah. I played... So I guess a lot of people knew me at the beginning. F I played, like, bass, grime, garage, yeah, yeah. house. I played, like, a bit of a full-spectrum yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, but you do that so well. Like, when we did our back-to-back, -back, like, at you could just go through and I'm just <laughs> like... Oh, I can't do that. But how fun was that? <laughs> so much fun. That was one of, that, I think that was my favourite set of the year. That was know? so much fun. Like you were just literally just like slamming in garage records on this thing. Oh God, <laughs> when it comes around to me, what am I going to do? <laughs> I, I liked it though, because it's not, it's not a competition, but it just, you just like, it was a nice battle. It was a nice battle. It was a yeah. nice battle. It like a, yeah, it was a friendly battle. It was a friendly yeah. battle. Yeah. yeah, there's no swords. It was just like battle. Just bangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, <laughs> it no, was it was cool. Because if you started like. Put, like going to a different genre, then we'd all still get two each to go on that genre. Yeah. So it was like, it was it was a party set. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because yeah. if you have like, um, 
it, it was cool that you'd switch it up again or I'd switch it up or yeah. Melee would switch it up. So yeah, it, it was Chrissy good. Yeah, as well. Like, yeah. Chrissy is very good DJ. Yeah. And you'd just be like, I know, yeah. What am I gonna do? <laughs> what am I gonna do? I was next? like, why did I go after him? Or was I? Oh yeah, I was on before. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh no. Yeah, that was fun. I hope we get to do it again this year. I know. I hope so too. Yeah. Glastonbury, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. We're here. We're exactly. here and available. We are ready and willing. Hit up our agent. <laughs> <laughs> the angel Andy. Yeah, angel Andy. Uh, let's talk about your last record. Foxy yes. Brown get me home tonight i just you know what it's one of them tracks where when it's on it makes me drive really fast okay. and be it just yeah be on. careful if it's on and it's like three o'clock in the morning and i'm driving back from a show it's just that whole album il nana mm. was just i actually bought the album again and she was on the front cover of um the source magazine and i managed to get it off ebay for like five pounds she was like my go-to hip-hop artist yeah. female hip-hop artist and that record for me just brings back so many memories of when i first passed my driving test i guess of having that freedom mm. of just being able to jump in the car and go anywhere you want and not have to rely on the bus or your parents to take you like mm. there's just so much you feel like an adult when you pass your driving test, right? Yeah. And just, like I said, just having that freedom and um, Get Me Home was around about the same time that MTV Bass um, started. And I was so gutted when MTV Bass got cancelled last year. Like, <laughs> legit. I wrote them an email. It got cancelled only last year? Yeah, it was last year or the year before. And you wrote them an email? I wrote a them scathing. a really stern email. Because <laughs> what did I, it say? I had listened, well, just saying like how disappointed I was. Because <laughs> it, it was my go-to. All I'd listened to at home was yeah. MTV based. Still? Like, well, until it got cancelled, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so many, when it first came out, so I was still living at my mum's while my mum was in hospital. So way before I went to, I, well, it must have been around when I was like, 17 when I first passed my driving test and it was just always my go-to I never really listened to house music at home it was always 90s R&B mm. um yeah and that album like I know it lyric for lyric back to back I even like n knew that I could recite you know like the the album, the like, album covers booklet. yeah the yeah. booklet yeah I could literally recite it word to word so just get me home it's just of that freedom mm. of just jumping in the car and it just had the bass sign on it. It was just like, just like make my nose tickle. It feels like music throughout your life has been like a massive escapism. Big time, yeah. And yeah. then what's it like for you now? Do you know what I listen to in the car now? Go on. Spa music. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> like it calms music. me. Well, it's not in meditation. I actually type in spa music. So if I'm going to go get my nails done, it's a 20 minute drive. Yeah. And I just listen, just listen to spa music in the car. Because it just, it's not a distraction, but I, I have to listen to something. Yeah. But sometimes like on the way home from a show, if it's not our 90s R&B that I listen to, it's just silence. I just actually like that. Yeah. Just just being in the car and kind of just being at one with my thoughts mm. because they're not still a little bit crazy. I'm always going to be a little <laughs> bit of a crazy girl, right? But my thoughts aren't as chaotic anymore. Yeah. They're not, um, I'm not overthinking things as much as that I did yeah. or numbing them with 
things that aren't good for me anymore. You know, so actually just to sit in my thoughts is, um, it's very calming. Yeah, which must and be so nice now. So nice, yeah. so nice. And just, I know it sounds super weird to listen to spa music in the car, but it just keeps me on that. My vibration now is, it's not it's not a low vibration anymore. Mm. You know, it's about sustaining this vibration. Whereas when you're, when you've got mental illness problems, you're on the floor mm. and nothing will bring you up. No matter if you listen to music, be around good people, yeah. eat well, sleep well, none of that matters. If you've got men's underlying mental health problems, nothing will bring you out of the gutter. Mm. Time will bring you out and you have to get yourself out of it. So <clears throat> for me now, anything for the ultimate chiller, you know, I'll smoke some CBD mm. or, um, just yeah anything to chill me out and that just actually, really keeps my vibration around here yeah i can i can relate a lot with uh listening to silence on the way back from a game yeah <laughs> my ears hurt sometimes i'm like actually i'm i'm good yeah but i'm just gonna sit here just and sit have a drive home. just drive i love driving i've right. always loved driving from being you know a girl racer yeah. but when you get on the motorway and just finish a show your adrenaline's still high. Yeah. Your dopamine's popping. Yeah. All of that goodness serotonin, which is all natural from normally when you put in fake you know, dopamine yeah. in. The crash from that is is quite chaotic. Whereas when you come down after a show, it kind of you just come down in your own time mm. to a to a nice vibration. So I love just getting in the car, just putting my foot down, and you kind of tunnel vision before you know it, you're home. Mm. And you've you've driven for three hours in silence or you've driven up the roads and do you ever get that where you like you get somewhere and you're like, How the hell did I get here? I um, don't even remember <laughs> like how I even got here. Like that's how calm I am now. Yeah. Like it's not. You're like in the moment. I'm just in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever I whatever that looks like to get in my zone. So thanks for sharing all of this, by the way. No, of course. I never do you know what I wasn't I wasn't brave enough to um talk about my past before yeah but i feel that you know if it can if anyone else can relate then i think it's really important to use our platform for goodness it can't mm. all be about co2 cannons and confetti drops right you know we're human beings yeah we're not perfect yeah. we haven't done perfect things in our life our lives aren't perfect we're blessed but we're not, they're not perfect and i think for me now as, as i've got older it's really important for me to tell my story and also if anything again relating back to you can be homeless you can you know suffer with mental health and you can be in toxic environments and still come out the other end and be actually really successful and do something that you wake up and love every single day because i've been doing this 22 years and i still love it mm. and i still feel like i haven't even unlocked my full potential yet mm -hmm. you know every year i get stronger um and all we can do is just be try and be the best versions of ourselves whatever that looks like mm. you know like i said i'm not here to preach about not drinking not doing drugs you know it's each to their own this is yeah. just my journey and i want to share that with people i have two questions off the back of that one is what does success look like for you now yeah given everything that's happened yeah and how you've grown like yeah. personally yeah and how has that 
changed? Do you know what success for me means being truly happy in your mm. own skin? And I think when you're not happy, you're always thriving for something else. You know, I'm always looking, what's my next move? And I got so caught up in trying to be like the next artist or trying to be like that person or that person. And my music's not good enough and that. And all you're doing is you're creating something that you have no power over anyway, mm. right? So for me, once I stopped worrying about those things um, and kind of settled into myself and actually being sober helped me do that because it's very crazy it's very chaotic you're you're always looking left or right and not actually concentrating and being in your lane mm. um once i stopped that everything just fell into place and actually now i feel that i'm successful or that yeah that i've created that success because i'm happy in my own skin and i wake up most days with a smile on my face. I think that is the success of life. Yeah. If you can wake up happy, You're then, then you've made it. Yeah. Literally. Um, that's a really lovely way to, to end things. Um, I have one more question. Tell me. You get to pass on a record to our next guest. I'm not yeah. gonna tell you who it is. Okay. Because I don't know yet. <laughs> um, we're, gonna try and, we're gonna try and physically buy the record. Yeah. And give it to them. Okay. I'm gonna what record are you gonna give? I'm gonna have to say Frankie Knuckles Tears. Oh, great tune. Yeah. I'm waiting until someone just gives someone a rubbish one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did Mr. Blobby have a feeling? No, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Why you can make one? them get dressed up in yeah. <laughs> the Mr. Blobby suit. I think do you know what? I think for Frankie, rest in peace, he has been at the forefront of house since day one. And even in his passing, he still comes up in conversations now. And I think that is incredible to leave a legacy like he has. And for someone who was so prominent and at the forefront of, of house music and what he did for house music, mm. I just think you always have to give mad props. Yeah. Always mad props. Well, the next person gets a banger. Yes. Thank um, thanks, Sam. Can I give you a hug? Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You can watch all of our episodes via the Defective Records YouTube channel, and you can listen back via all your streaming services. Moments in music.